0: Recorded live. Hey Ryan. How are you? Grandiose. And you?
1: Good, good. can't complain.
0: They're doing weather's, good.
1: Yeah, weather's warming up a little bit down here. So yeah, it's
0: here too. I saw a thing with Fenway Park. What they're doing is they, the way they melt the snow is they put like this black sand all over the top of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when the sun hits it, even if it's over freezing, it melts it. Really? I mean, they got ma I mean, we have here piles of snow 40, 50 feet high.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: 60 feet. I mean, it just. I took pictures of them. There's like little huts next to them, and then it's like, you know. Yeah, I mean, when you have, I don't know, we had two storms over two and a half feet, and then we had one about a foot, you know, so it piles up. Right. Opening day is coming up. It is. So... Any rid of the snow. <laughs>
1: we, we had a little bit of snow, but it, it started melting away pretty fast.
0: Oh, no, you don't get it. I mean, you have to be north of uh, Delaware before it starts to be a problem. Yep. Oh. So you ready to cover this week's farce?
1: <laughs> all kind of stuff. Uh,
0: uh, to me, it's, it's the job market.
1: Oh, I mean, but you know, we we talked about this. This is setting a stage for them. Do exactly what they want. They're 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 making it appear as as if things getting better. Like unemployment rate drops to what five point five, but yet the labor participation rate drops. As Come on, better. I mean it doesn't make any sense. It's like so why would- infl-
0: at five point five percent? I mean, h- how do you calculate that? That that's like better than the Reagan boom years. It's ridiculous. <laughs>
1: And, and and but yet wages haven't risen in, in no over two years now. Uh home
0: sales aren't up, car sales are down, retail sales are down, industrial production, factory everything is down and somehow people are getting jobs? Yeah. Come on. And is a job led recovery like we talked about last week? Right. I mean, come on. I mean it's not even and, and the market thinks, Oh, if that's great news. So we might as well sell off. <laughs> It's, it's true which means the, the market isn't driven by economic news it's driven by whether the fed's going to raise rates or not it's ridiculous
1: a hundred percent it is it's like okay, it looks like uh the money's about to get a little bit more expensive, so we're we'll right. uh, taking our positions out of the market yeah. um and, and which wouldn't be
0: a problem if things are getting better, you can afford a little extra expense on the money
1: mm-hmm. Crazy. well and then and then and then we have um you know, the ECB, which is cutting rates and doing huge bond buying programs. So, to me, it's a positioning thing again, right? It's, it's, if everybody else is going through this and we position ourselves and give the appearance as if stuff is fine and we start to increase rates again, then everybody will be looking at the United States. Well, look, they're not having to cut rates anymore. They're, they're not having to do these, these purchasing programs, even though we're continuing them. Uh, they're trying to give the appearance that they're not, you know what I mean? Come on, who
0: who buys all the shares? Companies and the Fed, right? Yep. So it doesn't matter that real investors are going to stop investing in the U.S. when the rates go higher, they'll invest somewhere else. The Fed and the central banks and the companies will continue to buy their shares and prop up the stock market. Yep. It's ridiculous. So there is no market.
1: (laughs) It's it's the Fed's market, that's it.
0: And you know what else I heard they do? The Fed makes the banks buy treasuries. Yeah, so they don't have to.
1: Yeah, yeah I, they, <laughs> could, they could say, hey, in an in, in effort um, for us to continue to lend to you at these ridiculously low levels, you're going to possibly want you to buy them.
0: Yeah, by the way, here's the money for free to, that we're going to lend to you to buy them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well
1: up here. ready to go? Yep. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Real Estate 360 Live. I'm your host, Brian Booker. For those of you not familiar with the podcast, my guest and I will cover all angles of real estate from interest rates to the economy, what's happening in Washington, the Federal Reserve. Anything that affects you and your real estate decisions will be covered here. We do talk about things or, um, from the national perspective, but also dive deeper into some of the local markets. I'm actually located in the DC metro market, so you will get some insights to what's taking place here versus the rest of the country. If you haven't done so already, make sure you do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. As many of you download from there, but you can also subscribe so that it'll instantly download to your phone anytime there's episodes. Uh, also, if you prefer to sit in front of your computer while you work or wherever you may be tuning in, you can it at realestate 365com Also, on the right hand side, there's an ask a question button for any questions that you have or topics that you would like us to touch on for future episodes. Joining on me on our panel as it does each and every week is Lewis Kimarosano. Louis is a former school teacher, former attorney, and a former general manager of a major real estate quarterly, often cited in the media as a real estate expert. Uh, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fox, and MSN. CNN, and numerous others. Lewis, how are you doing today?
0: Doing grand, Ryan. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, sir. Thanks for asking. Excellent. So, um, you know, we've got, uh, you know, some interesting topics, not, not much different than some of the other previous shows that we've done here, but uh, now all of a sudden um, the job market is booming. Um, and and I, I wanted to actually start the show, so I was summing through the Washington Post uh, from yesterday, so it was Sunday's paper, and I was actually looking at the business section this morning. And what really struck me was that I'm reading through, front page, I don't really see anything. It's, it's stories. It's all these stories about, um, one of them was the story uh, of a professor that's saying, you know, there's such a need, there's such a huge gap between parents that are actually, you know, wanting to, to read to their kids and educate their kids versus the ones that are not And poor kids back when were given the opportunity to um, to grow and thrive and get scholarships and that, and that kind of dynamic system now. There's a bunch of other stories. And then, like, the second to last page, there was like a small little blurb, not even an, not even an eighth of a page, on the Fed and essentially their, their effort to want to raise interest rates. Now, it's, it's very telling to me because this is not the information that they want to be front page news. They don't want people to really know what's going on. And any talk of them raising interest rates or anything like that was kept to the very back of the paper right? Um, I thought that this is actually, you know, what you would want, huge news, because if the job market's doing as well as it is, I would, I would have thought that that would have been positioned front page. But the reason why it's not is because they're talking, if, if it's better employment, if it's a job-led recovery, as you talk about each and every week, then it would be front page news. But uh, it can't be, because, it's such a manipulated market that when they talk, start talking about that, money starts pouring out of the stock market. And, and it was a huge sell-off. It was probably the, the largest sell-off that we've had in some time. I want to kind of get your take um, as to some of the numbers. And here are the exact numbers um, from the employment situation. Um pull it up here. We've got uh, the jobs data for February. Non-farm payrolls are 295000 versus estimated 240000 So this is considered a huge... Um, number to, the, to the, the upside, the unemployment rate supposedly somehow fell from 5.5% to, to versus the estimated 5.6%. Average hourly earnings were 0.1% versus estimated at 02 So, obviously, this is much stronger data than they were expecting, um, but yet somebody still can't explain that in light of all those numbers, we still had a labor participation rate, which was also down. So I'm sure that you have uh, a great way to look at this, and I want to get your take on the the jobs numbers, the unemployment rate, labor participation rate, and this so-called job recovery um, that is going to potentially lead to the Fed tightening or actually raising interest rates rates come June.
0: Ryan, it's a farce, and here's why. They have been saying that the job market is robust, it's in recovery. All the expletives, (laughs) all the superlatives, it should be expletives, that they use to describe this stellar, strengthening U.S. labor market is all a farce. And one of the biggest and obvious ways that you can debunk the job led recovery is by the labor participation rate. Now, the common rejoinder to the labor participation rate being down that the economic cheerleaders point to, they say, and, and Yellen has said this too, and it's 100% false, is that, well, that's because it, you know, people are retiring and leaving the labor force. No, wrong, 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 wrong. And you only have to look at the Bureau of Labor or Bureau of Lying Statistics' own data that shows that the civilian labor force participation rate, Ryan, for those at 55 and over has actually increased since the recession. They are not leaving the labor force. And you pointed out why they're not leaving, Ryan, because they can't leave. Interest rates are low. They can't retire on interest. So they stay in the labor force or they... um, they come back out of the retirement to get a job because the economy is not doing well. And then if you turn to the civilian labor force participation rate for those 20 to 24, Ryan, it has jumped ju- from 74% in 2009 down to about 71%. That's 20 to 24-year-olds. Go to your prime working years, Ryan, those 25 to 54 In 2009, the labor force participation rate amongst those was about 83 84%. It is now 81%. So you can't say that the reason the labor force participation rate is going down is because you've got retiring baby boomers wrong. It's because the people that should be working, that need to be working, that want to be working, are lower than... Then back in 2009, which supposedly since then, we've had this amazing, robust, solid jobs recovery. It's fake. Now, Ryan, let's, now that we put that aside, even if you didn't have those numbers, something still would be fishy. right? You got a 5.5% unemployment rate, which by Fed definition, anyone else's definition is what's called uh, full employment. Okay, when you have full employment, you don't need emergency measures of 0% interest rates, okay? Another thing, if you look at this full employment and a robust, solid labor market leading the recovery, how is that possible when the latest numbers in the last month, two months, three months, up to six months in construction, industrial production, factory orders are all flat or down, Wages are flat or down. New home sales, existing home sales, car sales, retail sales, flat or down. Okay, you point out, Ryan, if people had these jobs and rates are low, the economy should be booming. All of those metrics should be way up. If you had full employment, low interest rates, you would have car sales, home sales, retail sales going through the roof. You'd have industrial production ticking up. You'd have construction ticking up. Wages would start to be going up. We'd be worrying about wage inflation. None of these factors are in play at all. The only number they have now, and now they have two numbers. They have a rising stock market and a phony labor market recovery. One final thing, and then I'll turn it back to you. If you look at the job numbers, supposedly these 298 jobs were created. What happened to the shale oil jobs that we know were lost? Official numbers, 1,100 were lost. That can't be true. We know there were far more. I think it was Challenger, one of the others, Sure, like a $16,000 16, uh, job cut number. So they either just didn't put it in. They'll revise it later. They'll, <laughs> but there's no way that we've had no impact from these lower oil prices across an entire industry, and we've only lost a 1,000 jobs.
1: No. So they haven't
0: included it. Now, sure, they can revise it later, when after people have forgotten about it and they've already gotten the impact from this number. They now have a, a job number where they can now say, for whatever reason, this is, this is what the, the unfortunate part about it is, the non-farm labor number, which is probably the easiest manipulated And the least telling of the strength of the economy is now the one that they focus everybody on. So they forget about all the other economic data comes out and they focus on this one. And if this one is good, that's the narrative. And that's why the stock market sold off, Ryan, because the markets are not concerned whether the economy or the health of the economy is strong. They're only concerned whether interest rates are low and cheap money will be available for companies to buy back their own shares. And as long as the Fed and central banks are going to buy shares, and as long as companies are going to buy back their shares, the stock market's going to remain elevated no matter what the economy does. And now that you mentioned the ECB is going to do QE, real money is going to flow over to Europe because you've got uh, an easing situation instead of a tightening situation. But that won't harm the U.S. stock market because companies can continue to buy back their shares. Central banks will continue to boost the stock market. So you have no markets whatsoever. You have phony data, job market. Everything is awesome. Right, Ryan?
1: Yeah, everything is uh, peaches and cream. Um, it, you know, it's interesting because one of the CNBC guests, and, and once again, I, I tell people when you are watching these shows, the MSNBC, you know, realize that's that what their agenda is. And their agenda is to always be pushing the stock market as possible to push um, now, one of the guests had said that the lack of increasing wages is normal for this type of cycle. Normal. <laughs> Hold on. We're six years into this easing, and it's, and it's normal for there to be a lack of increasing wages, but I just don't understand. I, I can't put this together. And, you know, The really labor
0: happy. market is tight. You have unemployment at 5.5%. That would mean there'd be such competition for labor that they'd have to raise rates. You wouldn't be forcing minimum wage increases through state legislatures if there was such a demand for labor.
1: Well, I mean, Yellen comes out and, and says herself that, you know, that the employment sector has been improving. However, the labor force participation rate is lower than expected, and, and wage growth is sluggish. So how is it just the fact that she says that wage, wage growth is sluggish and the labor participation rate is down that she would want to raise interest right. rates? Because it doesn't make sense.
0: Right. By their own, their own analysis, they shouldn't raise rates. Right. But yet all of the talking Fed heads have been out there saying, yeah, we, we've got to do this. Got to do this in, maybe in June.
1: <laughs> and, and you and I said this is just more just for, for talk, right? I mean, it, they, And they did this the last time when, when they started talking about them basically pulling back and, and coming off the juice with QE, quantitative easing their money print, for those of you not familiar with the show. Um, they started putting it out there. Remember, it, was, it, and it, took, it took a while before they actually started to do it. But at some point, you had mentioned that, you know, in order for, for, for their credibility, sake, they were going to have to, to start to taper, right? <laughs> and, they and they eventually did. This yep. is the same exact thing here. They are starting to say, they're, they're, the narrative has started, that they're going to be raping roots. Now, will it happen in June? Uh, I don't think so. But it could. Because we have the Bureau of, of Blind Statistics, as you call them, coming no. out and, and, and making numbers, whatever they want them to be, so that it fits the Fed's narrative. And as long as it fits the, the Fed's narrative, then they can feel confident in making whatever decision they want, whether it be right. September or next year.
0: They, totally, they like, justified in, totally justified, Ryan, in raising rates if the labor market is as strong. They just won't ignore the rest of the data. They'll ignore the rest of the labor market. Uh, data. They'll just look at the top line job number creation. They'll say, "Well, see, <laughs> if the labor market is strong, we have to raise rates."
1: Yeah, and anybody that, that reads any deeper into the numbers, as you and I do, will find that uh, you know we couldn't be at such a hundred and eighty degrees opposite of where they think we are, right? Uh, it's it's unbelievable that people actually buy into this BX because. There's not anything out there really um, other than, as I mentioned, if you just took the face value, if you didn't look at anything else and all you did was pick up the paper every day and looked at where mortgage interest rates were and looked at where the stock market was, I could see where you'd be confused to say that it looks like everything's okay. But that's why I always say that you have to ask their questions and understand why they are where they are.
0: Why are, they, why are interest rates at zero? They're manipulated
1: so, yeah, they're, they're, they're mass, they've are been masterfully manipulated for a very long period of time, much longer than you and I ever thought the Fed would get away with manipulating them. Um, but as you mentioned, it doesn't matter what happens, if they raise rates or not, um, if, they, if they lower rates or not. There's, the Fed's going to be there to buy up assets, to force banks to buy treasuries. There's right. banks going to be somebody to pick up the slack.
0: Brian, I want to pick up on that point with – The reason we thought they could never taper was we said, well, who would buy these bonds? And then we found out that this mystery Belgian buyer. But then, Ryan, you know, the banks also buy treasuries because the Fed tells them to. So someone had to pick up the slack of the Fed not buying them. And for the banks to buy treasuries, it's no big deal. It's actually good for them. They borrow money at next to nothing from the Fed, and they buy treasuries. So basically, QE continues. There's no way that there's the market demand for treasuries at the same level of $85 billion a month when the Fed stopped, especially when we've seen recently that China, Japan, and Russia in the last few months have decreased their treasury holdings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So where does the demand come from? Well, it has to be ginned up. It has to be generated, just like the demand for stocks has to be ginned up, generated artificially. Just like they have to invent labor market numbers. That's what people don't understand is the market is not real at all. And people are satisfied with the appearance of a good market instead of an actual good market. They're just as good. If you can have the appearance of a good market, that's fine. As long as people are making money during that, it doesn't matter if the underlying fundamentals aren't, aren't sound as long as the ship is still afloat or it looks like it's floating. Fine with them. (laughs) Right.
1: And, and, you know, as time goes on,
0: um,
1: you and I laugh about it because it is comical. that you know, this continues down, you know, down the path, and it's been headed for almost six, what, six years now. Um, and you would think that at some point they would be forced to prove, they'd be forced to prove that the economy is improving like they said it's been. But they don't have to. They don't have to answer tough questions. They don't have to even explain themselves. They don't have to. Explain Even talk about why they can, in their own analysis, they're basically telling you that the economy's terrible, and they're still (laughs) going to raise rates,
0: right?
1: Right. They don't. Well, right.
0: Well, how do they raise rates? Just even if you're playing this central bank game, Bank of Japan does more abonomics. they lower their rates further. ECB does another round of, of QE. Half the countries in Europe are on negative interest rates. Why would the Fed, who believes in easy money, be at the point where they're saying the rest of the world is lowering their currencies, debasing their currencies, lowering interest rates, but we're going to raise ours. I know. How? Just if you accept the fact that the way central banks think, the way central banks always think is we have a lot of debt, so what we have to do is we have to inflate it away so we have to debase our currency. Oh, and we also get the benefit of, our exports become cheaper. So every central bank in the world always tries to debase their currency. Mm-hmm. Why would the Fed be out there saying, and especially since the Fed wants inflation, they're not near their inflation target, they want, you know, they're worried about deflation, raising rates will only worsen that dynamic in their minds.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so
0: wh- what's the sure, rationale I'm- other than they're trying to appear, quote, credible that all this easing worked and now they can raise rates? And now they've gained some credibility that if something happens, they can go back to not raising rates again. And so they can go back to uh, lowering rates and go back to more QE. That's the only thing I can think of, Ryan, that it's a credibility play that you know, the central bank isn't just this bank that prints money indefinitely and has rates at zero. They actually got the job done, <laughs> rose rates, and, and they're credible and they're prudent.
1: Well, you know, I think that's all it is. I think it's just a credit. can only be that. Yeah, and, and if you look what happens every time they come out with this language, you'll see a, a pretty substantial drop in the stock market, right? So I think it's actually a way to kind to of uh, kind of um, uh, measure the market expectations. Where they can kind of, if they start seeing it go way out of sight, which it's been doing, they throw this language out there and they get that pullback. Now, if like I-
0: Bullard did that one time when the market was collapsing in October. Mm-hmm. Just as they were ending QE, he said we we might have to do QE again and everything. Oh, okay, that's fine. Well, stock market went back up.
1: And it's just more- when Fed
0: President St. Louis Fed, Fed St. Louis President James Bullard jumped in, saved the market from a meltdown, and said, "Oh, well, we might do QE again." That put in everyone's mind that okay, the put is still there. We need it. They will they will back us up. They won't let the stock market fall.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's just it's Fed peak, right? It's like well out there, but we reserve the right in unprecedented times or global uncertainty Mm -hmm. to to reverse course. Or
0: or if if something is, quote, unexpected. See, right now, they've built the narrative so strong that the economy is doing so well that if it turns out it's not, it'd be unexpected.
1: Of course it would be unexpected. We have have 5.5% unemployment.
0: Yeah, I mean... The economy's humming. You've got the media propaganda, AP., Bloomberg, CNBC, Reuters all talking about robust, buoyant, <laughs> strengthening U.S. economy. If it turns out that it's obvious it isn't, well then it's unexpected, because they've created this narrative. Right. Look at that jobs number last Friday. Robust, buoyant, solid. They used all the superlatives.
1: They, they they pulled out all the stops on Friday, and, and you know.
0: And the market believed it. They said, "Oh, that's good news," but no, not really, because the, the the Fed might raise rates, and we don't have any for any cheap money, so we better sell our stocks.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> and you know the interesting thing about um, uh, about Friday was, is that um, not only did the stock market kind of collapse on Friday, but the mortgage. Mortgage markets, but mortgage interest rates got worse as well. Like typically, you know, they're moving in opposite directions. But on Friday, they were actually both going down. Right. Um right. So a, jo- a jobs number was not good at all for, for mortgage interest rates or the stock market on Friday. Now, many people, and this is what happens when you're in an artificial market. Right. You you can't you can't really predict anything because. No. <laughs> There's, there's no normal first forces at work here. It's 100% mass manipulation of the market. It's Fed speak. Everybody's reading, trying to read between the lines, just like you and I are, are saying, why in the world would they be talking about raising interest rates when the rest of the world is cutting? Why when Mario Draghi is out there basically saying that, you know, their economy is flat. It, it, it's uh, going to grow at about 1.5% this year, 1.6% this year that we are talking about raising interest rates. It doesn't make sense other than for the credibility and positioning. They're positioning themselves to make it look like we are in a better position than what we currently are. Right. If they need oh. to, like you said, if once another sideshow is created, Lewis, it's been about a couple months, so there's another one coming. <coughs> okay? It's another sideshow where everything, all of our attention gets diverted away from this crap again, and we have to talk about another international war or something.
0: But it doesn't mean that the underlying issues in the economy, the systemic issues that are in the economies across the globe don't exist anymore. Greece is not in the news. That doesn't mean that Greece isn't that doesn't mean that Greece isn't insolvent. That doesn't mean that the only way to save Greece is by giving them more money and lending them more money and making the problem worse. They are masters at everyone, you know, the expression kicking the can down the road or just ignoring it. Because the United States, for all of its robust job growth and whatever other superlatives you want to throw at it, still has an $18 trillion deficit, still has Obamacare uh, funding issues, a Medicare, Social Security, unfunded liabilities in the mega trillions that can never be paid other than through printing money. And because no one's talking about it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And, and I think that's where the narrative shifted, Ryan. The reason gold and silver went up in 2010-11 was everyone was talking about the issues we were going to have because of the stimulus and because of QE. And because the Fed just kept, kept it up, kept it up, kept it up, and then started short-selling gold and silver, that went away. It's like, no, that, you see, that's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. All you people are saying that there's a problem. There is no problem because we're not going to talk about it anymore. In fact, the only thing we're going to talk about is why it's not a problem. And not only is it not a problem, why we have a recovery. That was the word they used constantly, constantly, recovery, recovery, up to about a year ago. Then they started changing it to solid, robust, buoyant, strengthening U.S. economy. So Now, if you have those, it's very hard to say, well, there's something wrong when, when, you get, when you're talking about a robust, buoyant, strengthening economy. Solid. And because no one talks about it, well, then it doesn't exist. If it's not in the news, it's not right. in the media, right. it's not a problem.
1: Right. It's, it's For most people who
0: aren't paying attention, they only know what they read in the paper or what they see on the Internet.
1: Right. And they only see the headlines. Solid. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with solid and robust, right? If, if, that, Boy, was actually the, if that was actually the case, yeah, I, I, I would say it would be very evident. We, would be, we wouldn't have to even really be talking about it. Everyone would just know. And the fact that they have to continue to push this and tell this tells me that they really know that it's not happening. They have to continue the brainwashing. Um, <laughs> and, and it's unfortunate. It's, it, it is so unfortunate because, I mean, these numbers, the numbers don't add up. They actually admit that the economy is not doing what they want it to. But they can't come out and just flat out say, hey, you know, we've been no. successful for the last six years trying to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Um, <laughs> So they have to just talk about whether they're going to raise or lower interest rates and, and, and talk about why things are sluggish or not as, 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 they, as they, you know, they, they should be. And, um, it, it's, just, it's just a joke. You know, there was another interesting report, too. I believe it was um, – uh, yeah, the Fed had reported January consumer credit was less than the forecasted $11.6 from December. So revolving credit, the use of credit cards declined. I it was about $1.2 Now, consumers – are not using their credit to the level that would confirm all of this this great bullish economic growth, it, right? <laughs> right? So, in, in, in a great economy, don't people spend more freely? Don't they? I, last time I checked, if more people were buying new houses, new cars, and all these things, they'd also want to furnish those houses, decorate those houses, and typically, where are they going to put that that or get that money, Louis? Last time I checked, probably credit left. You know, credit
0: cards. Um, well, what are people doing, Ryan? This, their savings. The savings rate is going up. And that doesn't reflect any cultural shift. The United States has been sold on the credit spending for the last 40 or 50 years. The Americans don't save, have reduced it. The Americans are saving at a necessity now. They finally got the message. I mean, you could throw all this out there, spend, spend, spend. Economy's wonderful. Jobs are wonderful. The average people know it's not, so they're saving their money. And the Fed hates that. Yep. And, and that's where the real issue is, Ryan, that we don't have a cultural shift now. We're a nation of savers. You know, people are renting because it makes more sense. No. People are renting because they, it, they can't afford the down payment. Even if it makes more sense to buy. They can't get the mortgage. The cultural shifts are happening not because of culture, because of economics which eventually become cultural shifts. that people realize staying at home, millennials, isn't there's no stigma to attached to it because they have to stay at home, but if everybody else is staying at home, then culturally staying at home isn't a problem. If when you leave your parents' house, you rent, and that's what everybody else does because of economics, well, then it becomes cultural. And that's what they're failing to see. Is they're using prior cultural uh, things that people did and say, well, people... Get married, they form houses they they form uh, households, and they buy houses, yeah, because they were able to, and it made sense, and it was the right thing to do now it may be something they want to do, and you talk about this a lot, but they can't, so they don 't, but yet they keep talking about the millennials are on their way, gen y gen z they 're coming to save the housing market, household formation is up, we talked about it last week, you know w- wages are up, uh, my gut tells me. In that Fortune article by Brown, whatever his name is, from Ritz Holt uh, Industries, whatever he does for them, that somehow this is all going to happen because it happened in the past and this is what we believe we want to happen, so it's going to happen. Right. And if you think how flimsy these arguments are for a strong economy, but people just gobble them down and say, well, yeah, must be true. It was on TV. It was on CNBC. It was in Bloomberg. It was in Fortune.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you know they look at all these you know publications as credible, right? Um, and they know they don't. They don't yeah, <laughs> they know, and they, they don't <laughs> challenge. They don't challenge what they're putting out
0: because they don't know any better to challenge.
1: Yeah, and and, and and that's more or less is, is exactly one of the reasons why we do the show. Hopefully. There's somebody that doesn't uh, uh, necessarily know, and all of a sudden they start listening to the show, and they're like, well, maybe I should start
0: paying attention. It doesn't take much. You know, first of all, the, the the writers, it's not like they have advanced degrees in anything. Not that you necessarily need an advanced degree to understand economics, but they don't even have it. They're just writers. So they know how to put a sentence together, maybe even a paragraph if they're good at it. That doesn't mean they understand. generally... in in my dealing with many journalists, they don't investigate anything. What they feel comfortable with is a pre-written story coming from the mouth of someone who's a perceived expert. And if someone is an expert, they've got – they can quote that person, they can take the documents that that person sends them, and they'll also appear as a credible reporter because their sources are credible. But no one looks beyond (laughs) – Are those sources really credible? Is somebody credible just because they have a degree? Just because they write for the Wall Street Journal? (laughs) Just because? Just because? I mean, people are fooled by credentials, and that is 90% of the game is throwing out a statement. As long as it's attached to something that, not credible, but that is credentialed, then people believe it. And then they spout it, and they repeat it over and over and over again. As long as it comes, from, and, and I, I hear this, you see it online, people repeating what I call, well, I don't call them, but that's what they're called, memes or mems. I don't know. What you, but they see something, it comes from what they think is credible, and they just cite it as fact. <laughs> and that's the response to anything is they just cite it back to you because it came from that credible source. Yep. They don't have to think about it.
1: They're, well, Joe Smith oh, says, so what?
0: Einstein said a lot of stupid things. You could probably put together a book of quotes of things Einstein said that weren't very smart. That doesn't mean he wasn't very smart. It just means some of the things that he said weren't smart, and you shouldn't go around repeating them just because Einstein said them.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you figure on a day-to-day basis, people are watching CNBC, MSNBC, or whatever shows they're watching CNN, and they're just taking that as a credible source. They said something, and they repeat it, Guess what?
0: Repetition is very important.
1: And it's dangerous. Recovery,
0: recovery, recovery, yeah. recovery. It's in every story.
1: It, of course it is. And, and now it's
0: solid, robust, solid, buoyant, robust, strengthening U.S. economy.
1: And, and, and it's dangerous, Louis, because this has been going on for six years now. And all that we've actually done is dig a deeper hole. What we <laughs> haven't, you know what I mean? Brian, like, in-
0: if you were a doctor and you had a patient that was recovering for six years, other than a patient who's been through you know, the most horrific accident, you'd stop using the word recovery. If you start using the word terminal.
1: Yeah, it's not, recovery
0: I mean, is a temporary period between sickness and wellness. It's not a six-year media event. The fact that they're talking it. about recovery indicates how serious the problem is. That's why they probably stopped using it about a year ago. Yeah, but now they're talking about solid, robust, strengthening, buoyant,
1: yeah, and, and and now we have the 5.5% unemployment rate that's going to start to get pushed out all over the yeah. place.
0: How's that a recovery? I mean, that's that dynamite, 5.5% unemployment. That's what, you know, that's the holy grail of employment. That's full the, employment.
1: What was the total labor participation rate? Wasn't it like...
0: Uh... It's 68 or 60. No, is it 63, 62? It's, hold on. Let me, let me see if I even have it available here because I have it broken down by age bracket. But uh, it's the lowest since
1: 1978. Yeah, and i had it somewhere in there, too. Um, but it is, it's it's ridiculously... <laughs> yeah,
0: the, the blended rate is, is in the 60s, low 60s. I
1: mean, it's just incredible to me. Um, and if you just look at those two numbers, you know, you would write it... Oh, it's, uh Sorry. Sixty-two point nine percent to sixty-two point eight
0: percent. Yeah, low sixty, sixty-two point eight. And it's, yeah, not it's, it's not because of the millennials. It's not because of the baby boomers
1: no, leaving the, the workforce. The they're actually boomers. staying,
0: and they're increasing their jobs. It's the people in the prime working years that are out of the labor force.
1: Well, if you actually go back and listen to a couple of our previous episodes, we dive deep into um, you know seniors and the need for them to go and get another job, and, and why retirement is is. Uh, pretty much a farce at this point as well People aren't we
0: also we did it we did a blog uh a i think it's entitled a, a podcast that how senior citizens are taking jobs from millennials yep. in the grocery stores i saw a 65 year old 70 year old guy pushing the grocery carts he shouldn't be doing that you no. tell me there's not a kid in the area that can't push grocery carts
1: well, you know, and I, I used to, my grandmother as an example, if you remember that episode. And I actually, you know, at one point, my, well, I think my grandmother is 82 years old now. At one point, she, she had three jobs. Now, she wasn't getting paid for any; She was volunteering at all of them. But if she's willing to volunteer for three jobs, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's there's many people that, that aren't even willing to go out there and trying to find one at a minimum wage, right? Right. Um, and, and if she could, at any point, she could go and she could get another job. She She's... She could, she's had experience. She's consistently been volunteering. I'm sure somebody would actually give her a job and actually pay her a wage. She's 82 years old.
0: Um, right. Go in your grocery store. Go in Home Depot. Go in Lowe's. Go in any of those big box stores. You don't see a lot of young people. You, you see some of them. When I was uh, 20, 25, and worked those types of jobs, that's all it was. There was no older people other than maybe the manager. That, that wasn't a job. That was an entry-level job. Yeah. You did it in high school. I don't know if high school kids even work anymore. You did it during college. You might have done it after college until you got yourself another job that your degree was in the area that your degree supposedly prepared you for. But you didn't have 60, 70-year-old people working in those jobs.
1: No, you, you wouldn't. And you know, the interesting thing is... There's nothing
0: wrong with those jobs. I mean, that's fine. I would take a job like that if I had to take a job like that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's a sign there's something wrong with the economy when those jobs are not being filled by younger people. Well,
1: and, and, you know, of- Because the
0: skills level is there. You don't need to have worked 40 or 50 years by the time you're seven years old to do that job. All right. Begging groceries... And you you can learn that as a 12-year-old.
1: Well, the Fed has conditioned um, everybody at this point, cheers in, that the economy is robust, right? And so if it's a millennial or somebody that just comes out of college and they're looking for a job, they're going to say, I'm not taking that job. Exactly. Because the market is robust,
0: I'll wait for a good one. Or I'll take on more debt and go back to school and get a better job when I come out.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> And why
0: should I worry? I'm living at home.
1: <laughs> well, you know, this, my health
0: insurance is paid for until I'm 26. So, where's the rush? Economy's booming, and it'll still be booming when I, uh, I'm ready to get that when that job that I want comes along.
1: Well, you know, we talk a lot about millennials on here, and, and how this is like going to be the, the main target of many real estate professionals across the country to to market to millennials. I don't remember which podcast it was, but I actually did have um, somebody right in who was actually one of the so-called millennials. Um, and I was actually going to pull that up so I could kind of read you guys a glimpse of what he wrote. Kind of interesting. Um, so he basically said, I to give your podcast a chance. I really like what you're doing. You stand
0: sorry, I missed the first sentence.
1: Let's see here. I felt obligated to give your podcast a chance. I really like what you're doing. You stand alongside things like The Real News. Report and Common Sense, your focus being the housing market and economics, these others are definitely more broad, but you tie in a lot. I think some things you've overlooked is the size of the homes that they were building during the housing growth, huge houses. Millennials, I think, are thinking smaller, more efficient, and most importantly, affordable. We look around and see all the older generations that signed up for 30-year mortgages can't retire because they purchased too big or people Losing their homes or the elderly going back to work. We can see this, and we're saying we don't want that. We want something that is not going to be easily taken away from us. Our efforts, our efforts are in vain. We want a fair deal, and we aren't seeing them yet. When the wages of the young are high enough for them to afford a home, they will buy one. But as you're talking about, more people are going back into the workforce, so supply and demand take over, and wages go down, the value of time is going down. An already decreased demand for labor is met with a giant wave of people trying to attain. This very limited amount of reasonable paying jobs. It's a downward spiral. You have to work more because you're paid less. More people work more, so the value of time goes down and they get paid less. It just continues. I'm 23 years old. I started a small business. I've worked in construction, retail, manufacturing, and I'm a professor from a BA in history from Towson University. In my spare time, I enjoy reading CNN, Dredge, the Real News Network, the New York Times, and whatever I can find that I think is an honest story. Now, interesting because.
0: Very intelligent comment.
1: Yes, and he's not your average millennial. No. He's not. And the reason why he's not is because he's doing research. He's actually... But, but
0: let's not cut on millennials because in every age group, you have the same lack of interest and the same lack of research and the, and the same head in the sand mentality. It's not millennials that suffer from that uniquely.
1: No. and But you know what? The, the thing is that, you know, he, he makes a lot of sense, but there still is the fact um, of the matter is that not all millennials are just looking for a smaller home. It's just that most millennials, they're just not going to afford
0: it. They also can't they afford can't a afford larger it. home. They
1: can't they yeah. can afford a larger home. They can't qualify. For a
0: home. Why do they want smaller homes is really because they can't afford them. And, it's, and, and there's reasons why you can't afford a larger home. They tend to be outside of the city, which means you, when the gas prices were higher, that was a real problem. You had to pay $50, $60 a a tank to fill up to go in if you had a job. And you had higher property taxes. See, the reason they want smaller stuff, because smaller stuff is more affordable. See, what they're trying to say culturally, that's how they think. No, economics makes them think like that. Because if there was money left and right, and they were making a lot of money, they wouldn't want these smaller, more efficient homes. You only want that. It's the same with cars. We all know that. When gas prices are expensive, culturally people prefer smaller cars no they don't it's all they can afford then cult- what about hummers when hummers are popular as when during the uh you know during a uh, dot-com bubbles and stuff like that because you can afford them and then when you can't afford them you look at a hummer as a big gas guzzling waste of time someone's trying to compensate for something or other it's only because they can't afford them that people don't want them
1: well, look what happened when gas prices went down, right? That's, that's when the time when everybody starts buying SUVs again. And then if, Correct. If, if oil prices shoot back up and gas prices rise to those levels, they'll be getting rid of those vehicles again.
0: And people justify getting rid of them as as being crass and as being a symbol of greed. <laughs> the same people that say that would be the same people that would buy them if they could.
1: Well, and you know, the one thing in, in that... In that uh, that comment that he made on the Real Estate 360 Live page was that he said, um, most importantly, affordable. See, to me
0: – Yes, that's if, the only thing.
1: <laughs> Yeah, to me, everything is really affordable if you can qualify for a mortgage and get a low fixed rate, see? Because affordability is what you're, you're, you know, your cost is going to be. And there, there's probably not going to be another time in history, I'm not saying this, it could happen, but that they're going to be at the levels that they're at in the mid ninety. No. I mean,
0: come on. Unless they start giving away houses, that's the only you know, and telling you you don't have to pay for ten years, layaway plan like a couch, only without the high interest rate payable.
1: Right, and I think people pay too much attention to price and not enough, not up enough, attention to cost, and, and 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 even if prices were to retract by fifty percent again, and interest rates are seven or eight percent, it's still going to be just is expensive.
0: Yep. So oh, we um, talked about Ryan. From day one of the show, three, four, five years ago, it almost always makes sense to buy a house if interest rates are are very low. Mm-hmm. Because you're can you protect, you're locking in your cost of shelter for 30 years if you get a 30-year fixed rate loan mortgage. So what if the house price goes up or down? If you're not moving, it doesn't matter. The only thing you got to worry about is your taxes going up,
1: and your property you know, taxes. And people are like, well... And then you can
0: refinance too, if rates go lower.
1: And that's happened. That's that's happened many times. Absolutely. Many people are caught up in treating their home as this investment.
0: Where did they learn that from?
1: Well, the last boom and buck cycle, and and
0: (laughs) TV, uh, CNBC, uh, Keynesian economics. We need a housing boom. It's good yelling. People feel richer if their home prices go higher. They spend more money. Yep. People have been trained to think that the house is not an asset but some kind of investment that you can draw money out of, that you can swap, you can trade. And and that's where people mess up the idea of home ownership with investing.
1: Yeah, and that, and that, but it's your
0: primary residence isn't an investment, it's an asset. You've got to keep it up. You've got to put money into it. You've got expenses. You got to pay property taxes, but it's an expense like food is an expense. You're not trying to make money off of food. You don't try to make money off your car. You own a home because you need a place to live, right. and you lower your cost of shelter by buying one at low interest rates.
1: Well, and you know, Once you try
0: to start making money out of that, that's where things get dicey.
1: I think one of the want to make
0: money in real estate. Do what you do: buy houses and sell them, right. or buy them and rent them out.
1: Correct. Yeah, and that's completely a different, you know, we're talking about a different ballgame there.
0: Totally different.
1: Um, but, yeah, for primary residences, and I think that this is one of the reasons why people are hesitant to make decisions, is because if their timeline is that they only want to be in a house five, to seven years, and they feel like that house that they might buy might, like, lose its value or decline in value, then they're not going to buy it. They're looking for the deal. Right. They're looking for the house that they can get a low fixed rate on, but then they can also get out of five to seven years from now and have some equity to be able to sell it again. One of the Who
0: has the like crystal that. ball to know what that Nobody market does. is going to be like? Nobody does.
1: Nobody does. does. And, I, and I tell people all the time, the question that I get all the time is, hey, what do you think is going to be the best home for investment purposes when I go to sell five to seven years from now? Your guess is as good as mine. Now, Who knows
0: what's going to happen There's so many factors. What's going to happen to the neighborhood, the jobs, the interest rates, you don't know. We've seen neighborhoods come and go. Neighborhoods get on the up and up in five or seven years that you would never think would be desirable. Some desirable areas get a little long in the tooth after five or seven years. You don't know.
1: Well, and not to mention the fact that they can rezone school districts. They can do all oh. things that completely change the valuation of a house. I
0: mean, anything can happen to any area.
1: Yeah, like putting in, uh, you know, a park. With, with, with these lights that stay on behind the subdivision. You know what I mean? Like there's uh, infrastructure Things that you that,
0: can't even anticipate happening will happen. They could be good or they could be bad.
1: Yeah, but but like, with all that said, if you were to take out a fixed-rate mortgage and you're supposed to pay somewhere less than 4%, and you have that, that mortgage payment for 30 years and it can't change, doesn't say your taxes and insurance, you know you're protected. Your mortgage, is, for most, right. is your largest yeah.
0: Right, and that five to seven year period that we're talking about, we weren't talking about something catastrophic happening, we we're talking about something that might influence home prices on the margins five or ten percent either way. Okay. So because that, Otherwise, you would never buy a house, you say, I never know what's going to happen to my neighborhood. No, most likely nothing dramatic is going to happen in five or ten years, but things may happen that may cause the home price to go slightly higher or slightly lower. But there's your margin of error if you're trying to buy it and sell it for a profit.
1: And in fact, if that's what you're actually trying to accomplish, then you should actually be telling um, your agent that you're looking for an investment property if you're not right. looking for a primary right. residence. And, and the two kind of get mixed up, and people try to make them accomplish the same. And when you do that, you're setting yourself up for for a rude awakening um, because it's, that's not what, what it's all yeah. about. I mean, you're stuck living
0: in your investment. Imagine if you right. had to hold <laughs> Apple shares even though they were going down. Right. Well, you had to buy more, even though you knew they weren't going to go up.
1: Well, yeah. And then, if
0: you have no use for the house, if, in other words, if, if you want to leave, but you have to keep paying the mortgage because the value is down. See, if you're living there full time for 30 years, you don't care if the value goes down.
1: No.
0: Well, you're not selling it. You're not going to lose any money.
1: And, and At a certain point, you're paying a low interest rate that you're going to be paying down. Alone, you're going to have some equity at some
0: point, right? And where else are you going to live anyway?
1: You're you're going to pay rent, which is going to rise over time. Um,
0: Yeah, but if you have to move, you have moving expenses, you have to sell the house, you have realtor expenses, you have time expenses, you have inconvenience expenses.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I honestly think that, you know, buying a home right now with a low rate environment is a fantastic time to buy, but not for the reasons that everybody else is hyping it.
0: But there's a reason people don't do it. Either they can't, or it's too expensive for them. But that's part of can't. They don't have a job. They don't have a full-time job. Or if they do, they can't get a mortgage.
1: And, and one of the biggest reasons that we're seeing right now, for the reasons why people are being denied mortgages, is um, that they either recently had a short sale or foreclosure that they went through, and mm-hmm. they, haven't wait- they haven't waited the period of time that it's going to take... Um, to be able to get a new mortgage, and or their credit is still hurt is, is hurting. It's in the lower. You know, now I've talked about on the that they are starting to the underwriting guidelines to make loans more accessible for people that probably couldn't get a loan a year ago. And I would ex- expect for that trend to continue, mainly because when there's not enough loans being originated or actually given to, to customers, they're trying to find a way to give more. So they'll so loosen the guidelines, uh, you know, and okay, you had a job gap, or before they might just say, if you can't explain that job gap for some you know, uh, extenuating circumstances, you're just not going to get the loan. Now it's just like, okay, give me a good letter of explanation, and, and we'll you know, allow that to, to go through. Um, and, and that's going to be you know, more, I think, where we're headed. Um, they want to start to push people that I probably should not be buying homes into homes. Now that's, that's, yep. not, that's not good. That's not good at all because we're just repeating what we just came out of. Um, the last go-around. Um, but I don't, I don't, you know, this, this market, as we talk about, Lewis, it's so manipulated. Um, the media wants you to always think that everything is just, you know, just rosy, this rosy picture of everything. And the Fed wants this, this rosy picture of, of the economy and, and, you know, that everything is booming and robust and buoyant. I mean, all the different, um, you know, words that they use. But at the end of the day, we know that just going back to the eye test, labor participation rate is terrible. We have more seniors going back and taking jobs because why? They can't afford this one retirement money that they have. That's not a good economy.
0: Okay? Right.
1: Uh, rates would have already have risen a long time ago if we had that type of economy. Would you not agree, Lewis? Absolutely. Race, it, of course they would. And because you know what would happen when rates rise, let's just say mortgage rates are now at six or seven percent. People People will still take mortgages out of 6 or 7%. They were doing it the last governor. They would do it again.
0: They were doing yeah. it in the boom time.
1: People were buying houses at 15%, 16%. They were yep. buy houses at anything. It depends on, more. most important, the wages and employment situation. Unless that's taken care of, they can't physically afford to buy a house.
0: But they're telling us that jobs are great, 5.5% unemployment. Now you know what they're going to tell us? Oh, well, you see, housing, retail sales, all these other things, cars, they're all going to pick up in the second and third quarter on the back of the strength of the buoyant, robust, solid job recovery. That's what they're going to tell us. It's coming. Now you've got all these people with jobs. Wait, and you'll just see <laughs> what's going to happen to the economy. It's going to be great.
1: Oh, yeah. Wait till we get to the...
0: Household formation, more home sales. You know, the housing market's going to go ballistic.
1: And, and, and they say these same things year after year after year. It's so always
0: next year. Remember? Recovery summer was 2009. Right. Welcome well, to the recovery.
1: You know, they, they always have explanations like, you know, snowstorms and who knows what else.
0: Oh, by the way, I thought the weather was supposed to impact job growth. <laughs> it didn't seem to be the case. Didn't. You're never ready to trot that excuse out if the numbers weren't good. When the numbers were good, oh, but see the next time the numbers are bad, they're going to say it was the weather because mm-hmm. it was a different type of snow, <laughs> it was a different type of cold than we had you know
1: of, of course it it's it, you know it's just off and on i mean you just never know what you're going to get it, but if you know what you're getting with the fed that they're going to just continue to um to, Beat around the bush. I mean, it's, it's they're, they're going to make up numbers, or the BLS will make up the numbers to fit the narrative of the Fed. The Fed will continue doing much of the same, which is continue to print. Of course, the banks buy treasuries, all the other debt, and keep interest rates low to help the banks. Um, the average Joe out there is still going to struggle, but, you know, their, their debt and savings accounts are not necessarily doing what they want them to be. Um, it's going to be difficult to buy a house for some time, especially for people that are entering the workforce, because they've been brainwashed into believing that, as the job market is so plentiful, right? And that they can get the dream job that they want. But yet it's not happening. Yet we have basically these staffing agencies increasing with their revenues from like $1 billion to $3 billion over the last two years. But how does that happen in a, in a robust job market that everybody wants to outsource their jobs, which also means they basically don't want full-time employees anymore. They don't want, they want contract employees. All this right. doesn't happen in a, in a stellar economy. Um, I can nope. promise. And, you know, they can continue beating that drum all they want, and we'll be here week in and week out to tell you that it's, that it's a part. We'll be here
0: when the unemployment rate is 3%, 2%, 1%.
1: 3% and the labor participation rate is 50%. <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be here. Um, <laughs> and it, and it's not.
0: It's, don't, don't laugh. I mean, that's how they'll get gets, the unemployment not, rate that low, but this, it's people course. aren't in the labor force.
1: But we laugh. It's not so far-fetched to think that we can't get there.
0: How can you have 5%, 5.5% unemployment today with the numbers we're showing, with the, all of the economic numbers poor, but somehow everyone has a job?
1: Well, Lewis, you can't. That, you it, can't. You can't. That's, uh, that's the short answer is that you just can't, and they can, they can make it up, and they believe it, so it is what it is to them.
0: But, uh, one of our predictions for this year was a uh, substantial minority will start to say, wait, wait a minute, this isn't right. How could this possibly be? We don't believe this propaganda you're shoveling our way about the recovery, solid, buoyant, strengthening economy. Yep. Robust.
1: Well, you know. I don't
0: see it, though. I, I, I just see the same people who already didn't believe it six months ago still don't believe it, but
1: the only everyone thing else doesn't either know.
0: doesn't care or, or they're on the other side and they're cheerleading. Of
1: course. And the only thing that will make them believe it is if all of a sudden they're their, their stock portfolio retirement accounts decline right. 5%, then they'll start to believe it.
0: Or they lose their um, job.
1: Or they lose their job. And, and, you know, that's the unfortunate part. I mean, um, you know, everything, if you just go by uh, you know, the stock market and retirement accounts and, and your current job situation and you assume and nothing can change overnight, um, you know, hey. Uh, just, just, you're shaped by your
0: own experiences, I guess. Yeah, and,
1: and hopefully nothing bad happens. But yep. um, realistically... You know, we, we know that something's brewing here, and we just have to keep our uh, eyes on the pulse of it. That's all we got for today. Lewis, if you wouldn't mind, give our listeners your blog so they can check out your weekly blog
0: post. Sure. Please check out smallgold.com, S-M-A-U-L-G-L-D, real estate, Fed, gold, silver analysis, the economy, all covered two or three or four times a week. So please check it out, smallgold.com.
1: Great. Thanks, Lewis. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back again next week. And anytime, please subscribe, share, um, leave any um, reviews on iTunes. Also, you can go to realestate360live.com and ask a question there. Until next time, take care.